0: Okay guys, welcome to another Jesus Rant, Pastor Tom Carter, Word Without Walls Ministries. This is Season 3, Episode 13, Enter into Rest. And today I want to talk about the rest of God. And I don't mean we have some of God and we need the rest of Him. I mean His actual rest. I mean what happened after He finished the work and He then rested. I mean what's available to us because of his finished work. He finished the work and now we get to enjoy the fruit of his labor. We get to rest. But there's a very important deal in the Bible where it talks about not missing out on his rest or entering into his rest. And what I plan to do today is I'm going to read from the book of Hebrews about entering into that rest. And then I want to talk extensively about the story of Noah and the ark. Because as we're going to see, if I can tie this all together the way that I hope that I can, entering into the rest of God is the same as getting into the ark. It's our safe refuge from the the perverse, twisted, crooked generation that we live in. It's our safe refuge from the storm, from the flood, from whatever comes against us. It's Jesus is the rock that we stand on. He is the, you know, Jesus himself said, how I wish to to cover you with my wings, like like a mother hen covers her chicks. Like he wants to be our safe place. He doesn't want us to always be uh, laboring and struggling and striving to just kind of survive. He wants us to rest and he wants us to enjoy the gift that he has given us, which is, you know, eternal life. That's what the gift of God is. It's his life, his abundant, everlasting eternal resurrection life of love. But I really want to read quite a bit of scripture today. I'm going to read almost three whole chapters in the book of Genesis with the story of Noah. So I'm going to jump right into this. And we're going to start in Hebrews chapter three, verse 14, and we're going to read all the way through chapter four, verse 13. And this is uh, hopefully really will build our foundation for what we're going to talk about today. So starting in Hebrews chapter three, verse 14, the New Living Translation reads, For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we shall share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. Which, as we're going to see in the next chapter, and I mean just logically, if if it's unbelief, that causes you to not enter into his rest, then it's belief that allows you to enter into his rest. That's how we enter into rest, by believing in Jesus, by believing that he has finished the work, that he has accomplished everything he needed to do for us and as us, which again is what it says in verse 14, when it says, for if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. When we trust him, we get to enjoy the fruit of his labor. Because when we trust that Jesus has finished the work, that means we don't have to try to finish the work. That means we can just rest, right? It's like, I always try to use the, the example of mowing the lawn. Like, if I tell my son to mow the lawn, until I know that he's done it, I'm not going to be able to rest. Because I'm not going to be sure that he's done it. But when I've seen that he's done it, then not only can he rest because his chore is done, but I can rest because I don't have to do what I told him to do. And in a lot of ways, that's what we do in our, you know, in our spiritual walk is we try to do what Jesus has already done just to make sure that it's done. We try to be a quote unquote, good Christian. We try to, you know, be as holy as humanly possible. You know, we try to Uh, sit up on our high horse and judge everything in sight, which, which really a lot of times I think is us projecting things. Like we judge things in others that we don't like to see in ourselves. But I've ranted on all that before. I don't want to get into all that too much today. But my point is, is that you have to know that the work is finished. You have to see that Christ finished the work. You have to identify fully with him and understand that his death on the cross was your death. That's when the old man died in that watery, burial of baptism, the watery grave of baptism, and then when he rose again, you rose again. So now we can walk in newness of life and we can experience his life as he lives it in us and through us and as us. We don't have to keep trying to finish the work because he already finished it. We don't have to keep trying to be somebody we're not. We can just be who we are. We We don't even have to try to be like Christ. We can just let Christ be who he is again in us and through us and as us. We can rest. And I heard a preacher once say, when you work, God will rest. But when you rest, God will work. Like, God will let you try to do what you want to try to do. I, I always say, God is too much of a gentleman to force His will upon you. Like, if you think you can handle it yourself, God will let you to an extent and to a degree. But there's, just, there's, there's, there's such a more much more excellent way, which is just resting in Him letting Jesus be who he is in us and through us and as us. So again, verse 19 says, So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. And then we move to the next chapter, Hebrews chapter 4. And starting with verse 1, it goes on and says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. See, it's a promise but we might fail to experience it. It's something that he has provided to us and made available to us, but it's the same deal with fighting the good fight of faith and laying hold of the gift of God. He gave it to us, but unless we know it and believe it, we can't experience it. It says in verse 2, For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God for only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Verse 8. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable." There's a lot there, but the people of Israel, after they were brought out of slavery, they rejected God again and again, and they disobeyed God again and again. Even when God told the people to, to come up to him on the mountain, they said, no, we're afraid. We don't want to go up there. Moses, you go up there. You talk to God. You see what God says and you tell us, and then we won't have to talk directly to him. They were afraid. And so Moses did. He went up the mountain and he got the Ten Commandments. But even in the time he was gone, the people turned to worshiping calves. They turned to idol worship. They turned to anywhere and anything else other than the one true God, the God who is love. So God said, all right, well, guess what? (laughs) This generation doesn't get it. This generation, excuse me, will not mix my word with faith. This here he is, as always, making the way of grace, and they did not respond with the walk of faith, so they missed out on it, and they all died in the wilderness. It's available to us, but it's not guaranteed in the sense that we will get to experience it. And and again, you know, I don't I don't necessarily believe in a quote unquote afterlife the way a lot of people do, but uh, that's not even that's so far away from what I'm talking about. I'm talking about experiencing these things in the here and now. I'm talking about. Resting from your spiritual labors here and now. I'm talking about Jesus said the robber comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And when we try to finish a work that Jesus has already finished, we steal that gift from ourselves because we miss out on it. Because we're trying to earn something that can't be earned. And when you're trying to finish a work that's already finished, it's it's futile. You can't do it because it's already done. That'd be like me going out and putting lines down on on, on the grass after my son already mowed. It. Like, what good does that do? All I'm doing is getting hot and sweaty, and I'm not making any progress. I'm not. I'm. It's almost like I'm undoing what he already did and just putting myself through the paces. And and it's not good for anybody. But when I see that he has finished the work, when I see that Jesus has finished the work, when I see that he sat down and rested on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day then I can sit down and rest. When I see that, you know, I always, I always, one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite parts of scripture talks about how, as he is, so are we in this world. And it's so important to me that we know how he is so we can know how we are. And how Jesus is, is he's seated in a posture of rest at the right hand of the father, at the power seat. Jesus, excuse me, Jesus did it all so we could get it all. And now we have it all, and we don't need to do the same work that he did. Jesus did say in another place in the Bible that he said, "All these works that I've done, and greater works than these, you will do." But I think that that just means in a practical term, not in a spiritual term. He was talking about like physically feeding the poor and and you know taking care of the hungry and healing the sick and all of those things that he he physically did. He wasn't talking about the work of salvation. So what we need to understand is is He is our rest. When we get in Him, when we be still and know that He is God, when we stop trying to be somebody that we're not, and we just simply understand and embrace who we are, which is who we are in Christ, which is who Christ is in us, that's when we enter into His rest, when we believe in Him, and when we believe Him in us. He is our rest. He is the ark that keeps us, that literally, as we're going to see, keeps our head above water in times of trouble. So let's transition over to the book of Genesis, and I'm going to try to read through a lot of this quickly, but I want to start with Genesis 6, and we're going to go all the way through Genesis chapter 8, verse 12. So Genesis chapter 6, the heading says, a world gone wrong. Verse 1, Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than a 120 years. In those days, and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Now a lot of people have problems with this and questions with this. Like if we're made in God's image, why is why why was our hearts why were our thoughts why was why was it just human wickedness? Why was it consistently and totally evil? And I think it's because at that time we did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We again, like Like I was talking about in the beginning, God made the heaven and the earth, the mind and the body, you and me, but we were dark and void and without form. And we didn't know what was what, and we didn't know what to do. And we tried to do the best we could with what we had, but we didn't even know what we had until God spoke and said, let there be light until the cross, when Jesus finished his work, until he ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit descended, which we're going to get into to, to close today. But that's the difference to me is the Holy Spirit. So it says in verse six, So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing. All the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. The story of Noah. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18 inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. And I don't want to get too far into this and too far into the dimensions. It's the same thing with the temple that the Lord had uh, David prepare and then Solomon build. But there's one really quick thing we can see here is there's there's three decks or three levels in the boat. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like, this is Jesus. This is God. This is God's plan of protection for his people. So verse 17 says, Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, or enter into rest, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family And for all the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. And really, more than anything else, that's what it means when it talks about Noah found favor with the Lord, or Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah did what he was told. Noah trusted God, and Noah obeyed God. It's like the same thing with Abrahamic faith. God told Abraham to go, and Abraham went. So let's move into chapter 7. It says, the flood covers the earth. When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with all your family, for among all the people of the earth I can see that you alone are righteous. Take with you seven pairs, male and female, of each animal I have approved for eating and for sacrifice, and take one pair of each of the others. Also take seven pairs of every kind of bird. There must be a male and a female in each pair to ensure that all life will survive on the earth after the flood. Seven days from now I will make the rains pour down on the earth, And it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights until I have wiped from the earth all the living things I have created. So Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood covered the earth. He went on board the boat to escape the flood, he and his wife and his sons and their wives. This is what I'm trying to say. Get in the boat, get in the ark to save yourself from the flood. Enter into rest to save yourself from, from the life that you think you're supposed to have, that the world tells you you're supposed to have, when there's a more excellent way. It says, He went on board the boat to escape the flood, he and his wife and his sons and their wives. With them were all the various kinds of animals, those approved for eating and for sacrifice, and those that were not, along with all the birds and the small animals that scurry along the ground. They entered the boat in pairs, male and female, just as God had commanded Noah. After seven days, the waters of the flood came and covered the earth. When Noah was 600 years old, on the 17th day of the second month, all the underground waters erupted from the earth, and the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. The rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. That very day Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives with them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal domestic and wild large and small along with birds of every kind two by two they came into the boat representing every living thing that breathes a male and female of each kind entered just as noah had comm- just as god had commanded noah excuse me then the lord closed the door behind them for 40 days the floodwaters grew deeper covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth guys the flood lifted the ark above the earth it didn't drown it it didn't smash it it didn't like it lifted it up whatever people sometimes they mean things for evil but god uses them for good and he always can and he always has and he always will he always gives us a way of escape or a way to endure what we're going through and come out on the other side better i always say we go through things for one of two reasons or usually both reasons to learn and grow and to be able to help others through those same things so it says again in verse 17 for 40 days the floodwaters grew deeper covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth as the waters rose higher and higher above the ground the boat floated safely on the surface finally the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks all the living things on earth died birds domestic animals wild animals small animals that scurry along the ground and all the people Everything that breathed and lived on dry land died. God wiped out every living thing on the earth, people, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground and the birds of the sky, all were destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those with him in the boat. And the floodwaters covered the earth for 150 days. Chapter eight, and I wanna read verses one through 13. It says, the flood recedes. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth and the floodwaters began to recede. The wind in the Bible is always the Holy Spirit and that's gonna be important. So stick that in your brain and keep it there. When the wind blows, the floodwaters begin to recede. The underground waters stopped flowing and the torrential rains from the sky were stopped. So the floodwaters gradually receded from the earth. After 150 days, Exactly five months from the time the flood began, the boat came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Two and a half months later, as the waters continued to go down, other mountain peaks became visible. After another 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the boat and re- released a raven. The bird, flew back, excuse me, the bird flew back and forth until the floodwaters on the earth had dried up. He also released a dove to see if the water had receded, and it could find dry ground. But the dove could find no place to land, because the water still covered the ground. So it returned to the boat, and Noah held out his hand and drew the dove back inside. After waiting another seven days, Noah released the dove again. This time, the dove returned to him in the evening with a fresh olive leaf in its beak. Then Noah knew that the floodwaters were almost gone. He waited another seven days, and then released the dove again. This time, it did not come back. Now watch this, because I know where that dove went when it didn't come back. First of all, when it came back with an olive leaf in its beak, an olive leaf is a sign of peace. It's a sign of, uh, the, the they would use olive oil to uh, to consecrate things. It's a holy uh, plant or, or, or leaf or tree. And so that's important that it came back with a fresh olive leaf in its beak. And then it's important that, the third time, right? Three, that's on the third day, Jesus rose again. Three is a very powerful number in the Bible. The third time he sent it out, it did not come back because it flew all the way to the book of Mark, where in Mark chapter one, verses nine through 11, we see one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, He saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven said you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy when the flood was over and the dove went out it landed on Jesus Jesus being baptized showing us in type and shadow what was going to happen to him and to us in his death burial and resurrection the Holy Spirit landed on him and the Holy Spirit gave him the revelation that we need in our lives. That, you know, in I think the King James says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's what we need a revelation of, of our true identity as God's beloved son. Or as the, again, as the New Living Translation says, my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. We need to understand who we are. And the only way to do that is because of what happened when that dove was sent out after the ark saved humanity from the flood. It's 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 all type and shadow of Jesus. And, you know, I've heard people a lot of times, they want to argue, and they're like, you think every single animal in the world just marched in by twos to get out of the... That's not the point. Every ancient civilization has a story about a flood. Like something happened, right? And I'm sure in all the years and all the time and all of history, a lot of floods probably happened. We just got a ton of snow right now. And as soon as it melts, we're probably going to have some flooding. Like, we, we get so stuck sometimes on the minutia and things that don't really matter. Like, people will ask me if, if I really think Adam and Eve were the first two people that ever existed. And it doesn't bother me to believe that. But also, who cares? That's not the point. It's the story that we're telling in order to see things and draw things from and understand things about a God who is too big to ever fully understand. He's just trying to make things palatable for us so we can know him in a greater way. And I think that's awesome. I think that's amazing. So when this dove lands on Jesus and he gets this revelation from his father about his true identity, and it's really cool. In 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 the Gospels, they they say it a couple of different ways. Each Gospel kind of says it a little bit. Like one of them says, uh, the the Holy Spirit spoke to Jesus and said, "You are my dearly loved Son." One of them says, the Holy Spirit spoke to the people and said, "This is my dearly loved Son." So it wasn't just a personal revelation. It was a it was a public proclamation of who God is, who Jesus is, and how. father feels about the son for the son to know that and for all the rest of the people to know that and that's so powerful because if you don't know who you are in your life you're going to try to be somebody you're not you're going to look for love in all the wrong places you're probably going to find bad role models that aren't going to be able to uh, help you to get to where you really need to go but when you know who you are In the context of who your Heavenly Father is, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, the Spirit of Sonship that equips and empowers us to cry out, Abba, Father, to know ourselves as His dearly loved Son who brings Him great joy, to know Him as our Father who is well pleased in us, when we can have that relationship and then we can run to our Heavenly Father in times of trouble, instead of running from Him, when we can get in the boat when the, when the when the rain is coming and the, and, and the waters are starting to rise. And then we can let that wind blow all of that stuff away. The wind of the Holy Spirit, when the dove lands and this revelation comes and the flood is over, then we can understand that the work is finished. Then we can stop trying to do something that's already been done. We can stop trying to be somebody that we're not. We can just simply know and believe that we are who our Father says we are. It's all about knowing and believing who you are, which again, I'm gonna keep on saying it, who you are is who you are in Christ, which is who Christ is in you. Jesus is our true identity, God in the flesh, love in a body, God in our flesh, love in our body. And when we can start to see ourselves that way, Then we can stop trying to finish the work that has already been finished for over 2,000 years. And instead, we can take the ball and we can run with it. You don't have to finish the work, but now that it's finished, you can enjoy the fruit of that labor. Now that the work is finished, you can be who you were created to be. You can be who you were meant to be. You can live this life of love by giving what you have. But the only way you can give what you have is by knowing and believing that you have it by filling yourself to overflowing with what God has already filled you with, by letting him who is already in you come out through you. It's the light inside that shines and it's the deep that calls out to the deep, the light in me connecting to the light in you. That's how this thing works. That's how we build our relationships. They're built on trust and they're built on love and they're built on mutual respect and all of these, they're built on forgiveness and they're built on grace and they're built on mercy. Because people are going to mess up and people are going to disappoint you. You can cut them out of your life, but you don't have to cut them out of your life. And I'm not talking about having healthy boundaries because I believe me, you have to have healthy boundaries or you're not going to be healthy. But I'm talking about loving people. I'm talking about people make mistakes. And if they're really willing to try to fix that or to try to mend those fences, don't be stubborn. Don't be mean. Don't be angry. Don't be bitter. Let all that stuff go and let the light that is inside you shine. Let the love that is within you come out. Enter into his rest and stop struggling and striving and fighting so hard all the time. The only fight we're supposed to fight is the good fight of faith, laying hold of the gift that we've been given. And that's that gift is the rest of God. It's the ark of God. Get in the ark when the water's starting to come. That's what I got for this week, guys. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Okay, well, if you enjoyed that, I want to invite you to check out my website, jesusrant.com. You can get my daily rants on there. You can uh, get the my books that I've written on there. They're also on Amazon. I have an author's page on Amazon. Um, I've written a lot of books. I'm pretty proud of them. You can order them. I try to keep them cheap because I don't like to pay a lot of money for books, and I don't think people should have to pay a lot of money for mine. So check that out. Um, if you want to support the podcast itself, you can find it on anchor.fm. If you just search for Jesus Rant, um, you can support it monetarily. You can support it by uh, liking it, sharing it, subscribing to it, and you can su- you can support it. Excuse me, by word of mouth, by telling people about it, uh, helping other people listen, find it, and listen to it. And uh, thank you once again, as always, for spending your time to listen to it, to uh, to help me to get the word out, which, you know, as we know by now is, is my heart, is just getting this word out, Word Without Walls Ministry. Um, so just thank you for your support. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Amen.